Hi folks, welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. The topic of this week's show is Managing Conflict with Zandi and Tony Fell of the Zolt Group. Zandi and Tony specialise in helping businesses resolve conflict amongst their employees and sometimes dealing with the fallout and minimising the damage that occurs as a result of this conflict. In this week's episode, Zandi and Tony share real-life stories of conflicts they have resolved. We also discuss the difficulties of the blurred lines between our business and personal lives. Zandi and Tony give their take on some high-profile cases in the media around relationships in the workplace and alleged inappropriate behaviour. So whether you're an employee in a large organisation or a small business owner with staff of more than one, this show will help you manage relationships and deal with conflict before it gets too ugly. Don't forget also to listen to my Propeller Head of the Week at the end of the show where I discuss why investors should be looking more closely at principal and interest loans. Thanks for tuning in and please leave a review for the Finance Hour on iTunes. Enjoy the show. Hi folks and welcome to this week's edition of the Finance Hour. Whether you're listening live on Jair or indeed on our podcast, this is the show where we try and make sense of the world of personal finance and hopefully help you make better financial decisions. My name's Ruben Zoa. I'm a financial planner and owner at Adapt Wealth Management. We are a boutique financial advice firm that work with business owners, professionals and those planning retirement. Uh, you can listen to previous uh podcasts on iTunes, search the Finance Hour, or on the podcast part of my website, adaptwealth.com.au. So before we start, just some general advice warnings. Uh, Nothing we talk about today is personal financial advice. I don't know anything about your situation. If you go ahead and do any of this stuff at home, uh, I don't take any responsibility, or does my firm, or does Jair, or does the executive director, or any other people involved in Jair. Uh, They didn't sign up to get this sort of liability. So the topic of the show today is managing conflict uh, with Tony and Zandi Fell of the Zolt Group. Uh, I'm going to introduce them soon and we're going to have a very interesting discussion. Uh, But before we do, I'll just talk a little bit about what's been going on in the world of business and finance. And anyone who's been watching the news or reading the papers or has got their own superannuation fund or any kind of investments would know about the massive uh, volatility that's been going on in the markets, uh, particularly in America over the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, I want to just talk about what the media is saying about this because I think there's a lot of rubbish in what they are saying. I'm going to just put a headline toward to you and you let me know what you think about it. The US economy is going well. Wages are increasing and there is full employment. The share market goes up by 5 to 10%. I think that would be quite a realistic headline. Instead, we say exactly the same thing but the share market has fallen by 10%. What I'm saying is is that the media look for reasons for what the market has done, whether it's up or down, and they'll use the same reasoning for either way. 
In other words, it's a whole lot of rubbish. Uh, their reasoning for the market going down makes absolutely no sense. Why the market has gone down is because that's what markets do from time to time. Share markets are volatile. We've been used to, particularly in America, markets have gone up for a long time, but they fall at different times, and falls of 5 to 10% are not uncommon. They happen at least every couple of years. They always have, and they always will. And looking for these sorts of justifications of why this has happened is actually a whole load of rubbish. You've just got to be prepared for market volatility if you are investing in the share market. So don't pay too much attention to those headlines because they would have the exact same headlines uh, to justify a totally different direction in the share market. And one thing that's interesting as well is, believe it or not, there's a, and we've talked before on the show about exchange-traded funds. So those are uh, listed investments which you know might replicate a certain share market. Now, there's a crazy one in America. There's an there's a index which measures volatility. It's called the VIX. Uh, so what it does is, it, you know, if volatility is very high, the market's jumping up and down a lot. Uh, the VIX is high, and if it's low, uh, there's less volatility. You know, the share price of this thing falls. So what there is is actually an inv- an exchange traded fund that is the inverse of this volatility measure. So basically, what it is, it's it's a bet on markets staying non-volatile. Okay, so it's basically if you buy this thing, you're expecting markets to just go up in a straight line or stay stable and not jump around too much. Now, why anybody would buy such an investment is beyond me, uh, because I don't know how you could bet on the market not being volatile, but this investment exists and people do. And on Monday, the 5th of February, this uh, investment fell by 80%. So it just shows you the sorts of crazy investments that come up uh, when markets are doing strange things and people want to bet on a particular thing happening. So it's these kind of structured investments that I think are high risk. And uh, if you had money in it, you've lost a whole lot of it. Okay, we're just going to take a short break and then we will uh, introduce uh, Tony and Zandy Fell. Welcome back to the Finance Hour, whether you're listening live on JR or on our podcast. Today we have with us Tony and Zandy Fell of the Zolt Group. Uh, I'm going to uh, introduce them and they'll tell us firstly a bit about what they do. Uh, their website, uh, the headline on it when I just went onto it, and apparently it's a brand new website, is Conflict is Hard, Unresolved Conflict is Harder. So that's a, a good entree because the show is about managing conflict. Uh, Tony and Zandy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Ruben. Hi. Great to have you guys on. Now, uh, what I would like to know to start with is the Zolt Group. Firstly, what does uh, Zolt stand for? Sounds very much like your name, Zandy. <laughs> um, and secondly, then, what is it that you guys actually do? So to answer the first question, the name was just something we were playing around with and, and stuck. Um, so um, the, what we do is we're employee relations specialists and we specialise in conflict management in workplaces. And Tony and I are married, so we always say we're very good at conflict resolution. I like to say that I do what she tells me to do and then everything works quite well. But of course, we all know she's going to run the counter argument to that. <laughs> so we are pretty passionate about helping people have difficult conversations and prepare and participate them in them as best as possible to help businesses focus on work. Yeah, that difficult conversations is an interesting one. Someone 
uh, once mentioned said to me some kind of quote about you know your life or your business life is as good as the difficult conversations that you're able to have because a lot of people I guess would avoid them uh, so let's talk a bit about uh, about conflict so explain to me uh, a little bit about um, well first of all how big an issue is conflict in the workplace well, that's quite an interesting question. Uh, when we were out and about and speaking to people, we get very varied responses to that. When I talk to people and say what, what we do, people often say, oh, wow, really? People need that? But what we've found is, in fact, the vast majority of organisations and businesses actually really do need conflict, and it has a huge and deep impact on their work environment. And the to, to see how that plays out, it... it or businesses leak energy when there's conflict. Some of it's really obvious. So if someone goes on stress leave and they're mm. on work cover, but others, you know, people just won't will take a day off because they don't want to be there. Or, you know, your sales rep is thinking about the gossip they heard in the workplace mm. rather than the sale that they're going to make in the afternoon. So yeah. So you see, so there's a big, because there's a big commercial cost to the conflict. Do you actually see that firsthand? Yeah. Absolutely. It's huge. The you can actually uh, create a few metrics around some of the costs of conflict because, of course, as conflict, negative conflict rises within the workplace, you're going to have things like what Sandy was mentioning about, but also presenteeism issues. Mm. You're going to have turnover and the cost of replacing people. That's a, a direct burden. And, of course, the number of hours that people spend on trying to manage conflict that doesn't actually add in any meaningful way to the bottom line actually deducts from what you're doing. But we would say that most businesses that we come across, in fact, the major overwhelming majority, don't actually track this. So mm -hmm. they wouldn't know how much it's costing them. Yeah. They wouldn't know what how much time or percentage of workload managers, for example, spend on dealing with what we mean by tension or conflict or... Um, underlying currents yeah. dynamics. So it's one of those hidden costs. It doesn't show up in a profit and loss statement. Correct. Well, maybe it does. I mean, maybe it does, but it just shows up in lack of sales or whatever, but there's not actually a line item that says Correct. That says conflict. Um, now, in terms of these issues, do you guys deal with both small and big businesses? Yes. Yeah. And and are they, are they are the sorts of issues common amongst them both or because we've got today we'll probably have listening uh, some small business owners but we also might have you know people who are working in large businesses as well what's the sort of difference between them i'd actually say the actual conflicts we see aren't different in small and large businesses we deal with both um the causes of conflict in all those can like, stem down to similar things that can be there's some communication issues there's interpersonal it might be structurally that there's mm. a there's a reason that's causing conflict often that happens when you have when someone reports to two people that can cause mm. some conflict um, or it might be that there's a business decision that's been made and that that can cause, as well as just what you think quite obviously, poor behaviour mm. that people are reacting to. So, no, small business and large business, the actual conflicts that we see are, are very similar. Perhaps the main difference is um, often around the longevity of it. Mm. Uh, in a larger business, the conflicts often sit around for a lot longer with mm. someone taking less direct action to resolve yeah. it. And the other element is, of course, how you go about resolving the conflict. Um, because usually with a smaller organisation, you can um, make some small quick changes very effectively mm. that have an immediate impact, which is often harder to do with a larger business or organ organisation like a government department or something like right. that. So the, obviously the larger businesses have got special you know, human resources departments and all that and a small business 
often it'll be the owner just making the decisions. I mean, does the existence of a of an HR department, for example, make things better or worse? How long have we got? <laughs> That's a great question, Ruben. <laughs> I think it can be answered with it. I think that... Um, just uh, you know, knowing that we're speaking to, there are some small business owners out there. I think they're often so on the ball, and their relationships with their staff um, allow them to deal with issues. You know, uh, there are there are HR practitioners who have excellent um, have excellent skills in this space, and there are a whole lot that don't necessarily see conflict early enough and know what to mm. do with it. And HR can definitely add to the problems. Without mm. doubt, one of our sources of referrals into our organisation is when HR hasn't perhaps handled the matter as well mm. as it might have. Right. And I imagine there can be uh, poor behaviour in the HR departments themselves, <laughs> can't there? From time to time it does yeah. happen, um, yeah. the same way that we see it across all elements of leadership mm. within the community. Yeah. And also, I mean, I don't want to get too stuck into this, but the legal sort of environment, because I know you guys are lawyers as well, uh, is it in small businesses, you know, in terms of dealing with this or hiring or firing people, is it much easier to do it from a legal point of view as opposed to in a larger organisation? Uh, look, large organisations tend to have strict policies that they need to follow and uh, they tend to be more risk adverse. Mm. Um, so that often has a big impact upon how they go about handling individual cases. But often they also have uh, perhaps deeper resources and a longer time frame with which mm. they're prepared to tolerate and put, put a, a way to solve a problem into place. Whereas often when you're dealing with a small business, it's a person or two people and they need it done now because mm. they can't come in tomorrow because right. their world is crashing around them. Right. I would also add that um, whilst we always are operating in a legal framework in an employment setting, more often than not, the law is, is not what's right in front of us when we're dealing with a conflict. Mm. So when, you, when you're dealing with someone who doesn't like the names they're being called or, um, you know, I've got someone at the moment displaying passive-aggressive behaviours, they keep filling in the answers to the um, quiz in the, in the um, newspaper, in the lunchroom, um, to specifically get at someone. There's not, not, nothing around law there. So more often than not, the law is actually sitting in the background. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, I think uh, what people might be interested in, and Tony, you've told me over time sort of different uh, stories or examples. Can you give me some examples of conflict that you've dealt with that the listeners might be interested in, either it's something that, uh, that's happened recently or, or a little bit back in time? Yeah, I might. I'm, I'm, I know you just asked Tony that, but I'll um, jump in with an example. We, um, had a, we had a situation, it was a, um, a physio practice, a large practice that had um, 12 physios and an office manager and a couple of receptionists and they were all, all female except for one male and they got a new website and everyone had sort of their mug shots if you like put up there on the website and the um, the, the male physio um, had a look at the website and sort of saw the picture of the receptionist and said you know that's not a great shot of her she's really conscious about the way she looks very happy workplace everyone loved working with each other and he went up to her and sort of just said hey you know that that um, photo of you. I'm I'm not sure you'll be happy with it. It sort of isn't so flattering. It sort of looks like a bit of a one eight hundred number. Like it looks like not so great. Yes, I wish he, he. I know that he quickly wanted to take those words back. She was highly offended by it, mm. and then went to the office manager the next day, 
who brought him in and talked about how insensitive he was and how um, terribly ill he was and then he tried to go and apologise to this lady as she was going home but he sort of was um, over her car like sort of she you know he was hoping she'd roll down the window and he's a big tall guy so he was sort of over the top of her and she got he got home and told his her husband and then the you know that got an earful from the manager and so it just kept spiralling kept um getting out of control you can see how just something quite which seems quite small um really really ripped this very effective workplace apart really quickly and i was going to say something that's so small like that but the underlying issues that come around with things like that is we don't often know what other people are feeling or why they're reacting the way they are and that's a really key element to all Mm. of this is to try to understand and gain the perspective of the other person why did she react that way? Why mm. was she so upset by what to him was just a simple innocuous mm. statement? It said to his view in a fairly friendly mm. manner, manner. But that's what's very difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I suppose when you're dealing with things, you've got to take some objectivity. But each person, you know, you might say that comment to some people and they actually wouldn't blink twice and others would. So how do you, how can you actually define what's acceptable behavior and what isn't when it's, it's so in the eye of the beholder. It's really interesting and it's really hard. For example, in that case we are just talking about, the reason that she had such a problem with it was she has a history where she had been um, abused by her partner. Mm. So when a man came up to her and was talking in a manner like that, even though objectively most of us wouldn't react to that, she had a strong reaction. Mm. So we do have societal norms that we say this things can't move past a certain level of behaviour. And that's why we actually have rules around bullying and mm. sexual harassment and those sorts of things. Yeah, to add to that, though, it's not clear. It's it's definitely not clear. And um, that's part of the, I guess, the it's good and bad in a way, so things aren't set in stone, but things are changing. What was acceptable 10 years ago, it's different. Even in the last 12 months, mm. we've seen tremendous change and it's about continuing like, to have the conversation and creating a culture in your workplace where people can say when they're not comfortable with something. And you, you can also ask. Um, and you have to watch. You have to watch for people's reactions and have have the ability to have a conversation. Mm. And it's... It's not easy, but we accept it and we know it. For example, two um, people having a joke together can make a few sort of funny things, but you know that if you say such a similar joke to, in this case, some you know, the work colleague, she's going to react negatively. We, we kind of accept you can have slightly different um, expressions and cultures within the workplace, but you have to be sensitive to the people around you. Yeah. Okay. We're just going to take a very, very quick break. Uh, And then we'll get on to a bit more about the causes of some of these conflicts and more about the underlying issues. Welcome back to the Finance Hour. We are talking with Tony and Zandi Fell of the Zolt Group. And the topic of this week's show is managing conflicts. So you've just given us an example of of a situation where somebody had a, a bad personal experience and that was the result of her... And that's why she reacted in a certain way. So I, I just want to just continue on that for a minute because I still don't. I don't see how can you create, how can you create some kind of rules or expected behaviour when you don't actually know what the person's underlying history is. So like I think the example we just gave is kind of an exception. You're not expected to know what everybody else's experience is. That was just mm. an example. 
Um, but we can have some, we have some ground rules or ground expectations. And that's what, that's there, as Tony said before, that is, there is some real clarity around those. And then there's some grey areas that, that move outside of that and they change. We know that with, you know, so much technolo- technological change, the boundaries of um, what's acceptable and unacceptable in a workplace context mm. have changed, for example, as well as just what's socially acceptable. 20 years ago, you could have certain calendars up in your in your change rooms. Um, they are no longer acceptable in any way, shape or form. Mm. So some of it's very clear, very, very clear cut, and then there's some real grey areas. Yeah. What's interesting is that when there's a, a problem, say, like a calendar issue, you know, that's fairly simple to deal with because um, if it's up, most people will say, well, you know what, it needs to come down and people have a conversation around that and it comes down. Where things get far more complicated is where um, we start to try to second guess people's motives or we react um, in an emotional way to someone doing something because we think they're doing it for a reason. So we do a lot of this sort of workplace conflict and investigations where someone will come and say to me, and this was a real case, every morning she puts, gets me a cup of coffee and puts it on my desk. And I'm like, well, is that not a good thing? Like, isn't she trying to help you? She says, no, she's just doing that so that she can say that she's being nice to me so that later on she can do something bad. So people actually bring in a story or a narrative about why someone is doing something. Mm. And sometimes it's just totally contradictory to the reason. When I went and asked the person, she was like, I was doing it because I figured if I did that, simple cup of coffee, then later on we actually had to do, without working on some spreadsheets together, when we actually had to work on those things together, we'd actually be able to do it because she'd be a bit nice to me. And the other one just refused to see that that might be why she was doing it. Wow. That's really uh, quite amazing. But so, so this only so that situation, for example, that came to a, a head. Um, but and how did you actually resolve it? Oh, so we that's a long process where we go. Well, not so long, but a questioning process. So we actually have to take people through understanding what what their behaviours are and why they're behaving that way. Mm. It sounds a little um, psychological, but it's not overtly. What it really is is just about putting people through and having some really rigorous, honest conversations with them. Why do you think she did that? Mm. What was she trying to do? Why do you believe she was doing it for a bad reason? Yeah, and in a lot of circumstances, if they, say, they hadn't called you in, this would just could fester on for... Months and years, I'm guessing. And more often than not, that's the sort of conflict we deal with is stuff that has festered. The stuff where there's been a big incident or something's happened, that is um, more likely to be resolved quite more easily. It's when it's festered on and on and there's and each incident seems very insignificant like mm. the one Tony it feels like that just shouldn't be but it's it's often there's a whole cause of a series of that and also often the behaviors are very subtle. So when you're in conflict with someone, especially in a workplace, mm. what what's happened is we've got a little bit sophisticated and we know we're not meant to say and do certain things, so we end up displaying even other sort of maybe passive-aggressive mm. behaviours, like but talking over word. somebody. And yeah. That's not right. Sorry. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but another a real example that, that we confront almost every day is... You know, you ask, how do you know what the rules are? And there are some very set rules where you can't abuse someone, right? Mm. We know that. That's a written rule. You can't do it. Most places don't have a written rule that you need to say good morning to everyone. Mm. So people will almost always complain to us. They'll come and say, Tony, I 
feel so stupid even raising this, but you know what? Every morning when she walks in, she doesn't say good morning to me. She says, hi, Jim, hi, James, hi, Sue, but not to me. And it just gets me. Yeah. So a lot of some of the examples we've just given are about behaviour and interpersonal things. However, there are other things that drive conflict as well. Um, sometimes they're structural or they're also because performance feedback hasn't been given. Mm. So managers or other colleagues step away from saying when someone's doing something not as right. And I had a situation at the moment where, you know, there's conflict has ended up happening between a new supervisor and an existing staff member, but the old supervisor still within the business and didn't give this feedback to the employee for four and a half years. Mm. So now the new supervisor who wants to deal with it is needs to, and the employee's like, hey, what's the problem? I've never been told there's a problem. So mm. I would say one of the, the, the sources of conflict in workplaces is we don't have the conversations when they're small mm. and when they're new and they get bigger and bigger. And then you have two problems. You have the actual issue and you have the issue that you haven't had the conversation. So it, and actually what you're saying is when there's a change of leadership or change of manager, that often then comes to the fore, the problems, does it? Because of the different be. styles or the fact that it's, um, yeah. Yes. It's like many things in life, Ruben. It's about expectation management. Mm. So if the person had the performance expectations carefully explained and they were managed to those, that wouldn't be an issue. But yeah. they hadn't been. And now there's a new expectation on them and they're not used to that. Have you had any dealings with uh, business owners in terms of uh, partnerships? Partnerships that have potentially not worked so well or... That, has that occurred? Have yes. you seen that? Yes, and again, and even family businesses too. Mm. So either you know friends or or, or family, and um, sometimes I wish they'd called us in earlier. Mm. So you know, by the time they often feel like there's a problem, it's a really big problem. Whereas we could have worked back. And sometimes, really, what we're doing is helping them separate with as much respect and dignity as they can. Mm. Um, but yes, the business owners, you know, it's um, yeah, they of course they get into trouble. And they don't, you know, as individuals don't necessarily always have the skills to be able to talk about what's bothering mm. them. And work's busy. So to make time to have a difficult conversation, which we like to avoid, can then, um, yeah, come back, in a di you know, when it's bigger and uglier. Yeah. And what's interesting with some of those family situations or sort of just small businesses where you might have one or two or three partners is that, what people want from the business changes over time. Yeah. So they may have all gone in with a great idea and a burning ambition and we're going to grow this and do well of it and all those sort of things. But as life moves on, people start to want different things mm. and to react and interact with their business and the people in their business in a different way. So someone might want to you know, take their foot off the pedal and, I don't know, work three and a half days a week and the other one's still really intent on growing it I'm, I'm guessing that happens a lot uh is when there are a couple of generations yes in the business or even um some might say that they want their um their children to come into the business yeah. but their children are not them and have very different skill sets mm. and the other people in the business uh, might see that view that very differently uh, even just a you know not even a generational thing two business owners that we've dealt with one wanted to go more online and mm. use that and the other one was like no we're staying in our traditional shop front um and really where we helped there was to have sort of a facilitated negotiation we helped those business owners identify 
what's important to them mm. and be able to actually talk about that and take them into a space where they could actually problem solve together. It's actually interesting, isn't it? Like what situation, because I myself went through a business split uh, about six years ago and it was pretty traumatic. And I look back on it now and I think, you know, we could have done things a bit differently. I probably could have acted differently. He could have acted differently. But in any event, it's interesting to know when things can be salvaged to when you, you've got to just try and have a subtle breakup. I was actually speaking to a friend of mine the other day who's in a, a medical sort of, not, not a medical practice, an allied medical practice, and he was telling me how one of the partners uh, decided to start working a bit uh, in another practice, a bit closer to home. So, you know, they're all trying to build up this practice in a certain area, and he's decided he's going to work a day a week or so at home because it's easier for him. And they basically confronted him about it and had a whole big issue, and it got legal. The lawyers were sending letters to each other, and then they managed to get together and resolve it. And I was just absolutely blown away that it got to that point where there were lawyers involved, they were communicating through lawyers, and they still managed to resolve it. That's a lovely situation where you can bring it back from that. Usually once the lawyers are involved, it can be quite difficult. Yeah. But in many of those circumstances, one of the mistakes that people make is they think it's about them. So, for mm. example, in the case you just had there, the other business partners more than likely would have been thinking, you know what, There's this guy, he's working from home, this is what he's doing to me, this is how he's impacting my business, this is mm. without any thought as to why is he doing that? What's driving his behaviour? How can we help him achieve his goals without actually um, having to drive him out of the business? When I hear you talking like that and also the case that you've just given, Ruben, what comes to my mind is the empower and, um, and the importance of support people. So in that case, it'd be really interesting to know if who was talking in their ear to have the discussion. So if you've mm. got a gung-ho lawyer, that's, that's, that's going to give you one outcome if you've got a support person who's willing to help you actually go a bit deeper and say what's important to you and this is worth looking at differently then you'll get a different outcome so the advice and support you have around you is important especially in small business where you might not have those in-house that the friends and colleagues and advisors you build around yeah. you you want the people who are going to be really truthful with you and be able to tell you actually you're acting so not true. in your best interest yeah and the other point i would make about that just right up is it's really important to recognize that not every workplace relationship is equal Mm. So not every relationship is worth having at 100% or even resolving. We always we often say, you know, re workplace relationships, effective workplace relationships are a strategic advantage. If you've got good relationships in the workplace, you will be able to achieve what you need to achieve on a work front. So the first thing you have to go is, what does this relationship actually mean to me? Because if it's someone I see twice a year at the end, you know, twice a year at a conference, and we don't get along, so be it. But if this is someone that I have to get sign off from because mm. they're a stakeholder in what I do, that's a relationship that has there's a strategic advantage, yeah, and you're, you're willing to invest in that yeah. more. So to your question about when do you walk away and when do you not, that's a good place to start. How important is this dynamic to you? Mm. Who are the players, and how do I assess what? I'm going to do with each of them. Mm. Interesting. Now, um, one of the things we were talking off air about that I want to uh, touch on now as well is obviously blurring. There's lots of blurring of lines now between work and non-work. You know, in the old days, you probably the classic one is where people went to a Christmas party after work and got drunk and did some inappropriate behaviour. Uh, I think that that's now, you know whether that was a work or non-work issue. I think we're now at the point where that's clearly a work. Thing. I don't think there's any grey areas 
on well, that particular <laughs> one anymore. We still get them, but yes, oh, you're yeah, right. You're yeah, right. pretty much right yes. there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, now we've got all sorts of other situations where employees and bosses are probably connected uh, on social media or even face-to-face social Absolutely. outside of the work environment. Uh, that must have been something, and that's a change that's been relatively recent. Uh, have you had situations like that arise and how have you dealt with them? There's a, a range of different ways that that, um, that arises. And in reality, um, the test for this sort of stuff has always been what's the impact on the workplace? Is it connected to the workplace? Mm-hmm. That's really, in many ways, the essential legal test that comes from all the various cases. So what tended to happen was in the old days that someone would go to the pub and slag off their boss. It happened to three people and that was that and no one else spoke about it and then they left and that was all fine because it wasn't sent anywhere. Of course, now people go home and they get pissed off with their boss and they write about it on Facebook. Mm. Now... Most people have a lot of friends from work on this part of their Facebook community. So when you post something on Facebook and it goes to all these people, then you're actually impacting work. And there was a case just the other day of a guy who was a wharfie. He was, he's rostered on one week and rostered off one week. He was on his non-rostered week, went to the pub, got smashed, went home and posted some porn out to some of his Facebook friends. Happened to be that 18 of those people were also work colleagues and it was held that that was... A workplace event and mm. he lost his job over that and we had a, a case a few years ago in a, a small uh, country town um, where two employees were both invited to the same 50th birthday party and at that party one colleague made a pass at, at the other colleague's wife mm. it didn't go anywhere but um, when they got back to work on monday the the husband refused to work with his work colleague and people started to take sides. And in a small, it was, you know, the business was finding it really difficult to schedule how to have both of these employees working together. Um, whether or not you think that is a work-related event or not, mm. the impact comes into the workplace and you, you can't just say, we'll leave that completely at the door as you walk in and pick it up on the way out. It's just the not way it works. It's not the way it works. Mm. And it went even deeper than that because there were factions forming at work. You know, one one group of people saying, well, you know, it's just Jimmy. He's always a bit like that. Don't worry mm. about him. But there is another group that's saying, yeah, it's Jimmy. He's always like that, cracking on and causing grief for other people. Wow. So um, once you start, there were huge fractions f- f- forming at work. So it pulls the place apart. Mm. That's an impact at work. And that was an imme- they saw immediate productivity issues. Um, so yeah that was so so firms I mean are the big firms coming out with sort of social media guidelines in terms of what people can do even outside of the workplace are they starting to do that on or they're not they're well and truly there yeah they're well and truly there the thing is that they they move quite quickly because the different types of technology change Mm. but um yeah a lot of organizations even smaller organizations have a code of conduct that would um, stipulate that that sort of thing would be connected or concern, concerning workplace. But it's really interesting because, of course, in a lot of organisations, they want you to be active on social media. So mm. you want your employees to be your advocates, right? If yeah. you run a small business, what is what could be a better, or a large business, what could be better than having your employees out there saying, talking about your business? It's mm. fabulous. So it's not about banning them from social media, but they need to be aware that once they're doing and they're aligned to a workplace... 
what they do in that world is going to impact in the real world. Mm. But this is a complicated space because it's changing. So we even saw, and not this is specific in the workplace, but we saw, you know, when the yes vote was on, um, if, if, you know, some businesses didn't want to be aligned to people who were one way or the other. And if mm. you have an employee who is active on a, on a social media site, then where does that go? It's a really interesting space to continue watching. It is interesting. I, I'm actually going to pick up on a point there because I'm, I'm interested in your view. When it was that uh, that yes or no vote, I was always really surprised when I saw organisations take a stance and and say that this is you know company ABC we are for uh, the yes vote. I, I could never understand that because obviously there's a there's a whole range of people that work there and they've all got different views. So why would you want to give? A view of the whole company. I don't get it. I think they must have seen that there was some sort of marketing advantage to doing that. Yeah. Because from a workplace cultural point of view, you are ostracising a certain segment of your workplace. And you're right, that's why I think it's a fascinating space to continue mm. watching because it's, you know, there aren't too many examples of where companies have taken it what had become a political stance on something, even though it's a social stance and yeah. you know, there's a whole lot of other things in there. So I have similar views to you. Mm. It, it's a vexed area because in many ways we want our big organisations, our big companies, um, to be political actors, to mm. make to be a force for good, right? Mm. We expect that. We, we If Coke is doing something that's really bad, we get angry at them and mm. we talk about that so we want them to be a force for good now here of course it's an entirely individualized perspective is what is a force for good in the in mm. the, in that sort of vote so that's where it becomes more blurred mm. we did actually have just on that sort of point about you know the whole how it affects the workplace we did have a situation during that campaign where two employees one was very much yes and one was very much no and they really it blew up in their workplace and they would not talk to each other about other issues and it's one of the things that we're seeing more and more in society that people are becoming more um either completely yes or completely no and there's no room in between to have a conversation or at least to kind of go in the, on that topic we don't see eye to eye mm. but we can still we can actually now sit down and talk about the you know monthly whatever or the the, the sales meeting we need to walk into or the IT issue that we have to deal with. People are really polarised and mm. that is getting complicated for businesses to deal with. And you think people are getting more polarised that's happening more than it has been in the past? I, I, f I feel that. I don't know if my mm. professional hat tells me that, but yeah. um, I, I feel that just from, you know, that, that mm. would be... Yeah. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly, you know, the sort of trends you see when you start looking at uh, Trump and all these sorts of things yeah. that we hear about this idea that there's a polarisation and, um, and it's fed partly, I'd say, by the fact that we, all the communication that we do now, most of communication we do now is getting smaller and smaller and it's less about listening mm. and it's more about either, um, putting your view out there or a quick response mm. whereas the key to conflict resolution and the key to actually taking an alternative and understanding an alternative view is listening yeah the other thing which might be contributing to that a bit is social media you know say on facebook for example if you've got a particular political view and you look up certain articles or whatever you're going to keep getting fed that same thing over and over again in your twitter feeds in your facebook feeds i wonder if that's uh, that's adding to it as well that's what they call the echo chamber. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, talking about uh, you know the blurring of uh, personal and business relationships, there's nothing you know there's nothing more spicier than what's been happening in the last couple of months. 
Uh, there have been three sort of big cases or big public things about uh, relationships in the workplace. And I'll mention all three of them. First of all, uh, was in the AFL when two of the senior executives uh, had affairs with, uh, with uh, junior female staff. Uh, there was obviously the other cases which everyone will know about, uh, which was Robert Doyle uh, in the Melbourne Council, and more recently over the last few days, the leader of the National Party, Barnaby Joyce. So and just our Deputy Prime Minister. And our Deputy Prime Minister, yes. So looking at those three, three cases, can you tell me what is the common thread, or is there any, between, between those three things that we've seen? I think there are probably two distinct parts to answer that. The one thing I might just quickly clarify is that the stuff with Robert Doyle hasn't been about um, a relationship. It's more about inappropriate um, uh, yes, sexual misconduct. So, yeah. so it's slightly different, but yeah. it's still their high all profile. Three all three cases are different, but we'll pull out some threads because they involve workplaces and high profile people. Yeah. yeah. So, and I think the two there are two kind of distinct elements. Um, one is what is the impact in that work environment when you have the senior people behaving, um, having these types of uh, interactions with either more junior or almost always more junior people? Uh, what does that look like? What is the impact? And the other element of that is if you need to get actually get in there and find out what's going on, how do you go about doing it? in a manner that's actually going to somehow provide you with some useful information and that won't almost be too late down the track because mm -hmm. everything's blown up in front of you. So I think they're two quite distinct um, arms to that. And if we sort of pull apart that first one, obviously not knowing... In the AFL? Oh, no, 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 sorry. not the cases, the, the oh. point that Tony oh, made. Oh, sorry, yeah. Just, I think each of the cases, it wouldn't. I don't have the insight into the specifics of it. I'm going on what we obviously know in the, in the papers as well. But... And, and, and uh, you know, I'm not passing judgment on the, the conduct we're talking about, but when you ask about the common threads, one of the things that we, we always do is when you're looking at behaviour and whether or not it's appropriate or not, you have to look at what what rule has been breached or what mm. rule is, is it a formal rule? So it might be something in a policy or is it an informal rule that people just expect you to act in a particular way? And I think particularly with um, um, Joyce, um, what we've got there is that, you know, people are saying when you're in a position of power you shouldn't be favoring someone else or giving someone extra uh, the extra opportunities because of your relationship and to to have a transparency around that you need to declare when you're having a relationship but we don't know that that was the case no though. we don't we that's, do we? no that's yeah. what i'm saying i'm, I'm saying like I don't, yeah. I don't know i'm just going on the day to show what mm. what you'd be pulling apart from a workplace point right. of view you'd be looking what's the rule that has been supposed to be broken and then you'd be piecing together was that actually done right. but but um, but what seems to be unfolding now with his case is that that actual investigation i mean i don't know if that's even started maybe it yeah. has but he's in a whole world of pain because of the political situation. Correct. And, and that happens in, you know, that would happen in high-profile cases. I mean, that's probably the same with Doyle and with the AFL. The fact that you're in a high-profile position, whether it is a, you know, actual politics itself, it, it seems to be that, that you know, so it's very difficult to get to get have a have a fair investigation. Correct. Yeah, it's very hard to have a fair investigation when anything's done in the public because one of the basis of any investigation is what we call natural justice, which is to mm. actually have uh, a person be provided with the op fair opportunity to respond to allegations raised mm. against them. So the Doyle, the Doyle case, um, there is a QC running a very tight legal process around what is alleged to have occurred 
and is providing findings based around that. Mm. From all reports that have come out, that is being done in a, what you'd call a meticulous, well-run, really exemplary manner, mm. and that the investigation itself is providing natural justice to Robert Doyle to have an opportunity to respond and to the uh, complainants who are having a full opportunity to ventilate mm. their complaints into this particular person. Right. The flip side to that is because it is such a high-profile case, it's running in the media. Mm. And because he's a politician, what is said in the media matters to his future. Mm. And, of course, to those, the women involved as well. So whilst the, you might get a technically excellent investigation it still may appear unfair on the surface there's a right. perception of unfairness because things are playing out in the public sphere and obviously it's already taken a massive impact on his mental health absolutely so, so in a way he's lost already really hasn't he it, it and is and very hard sense, yes he's, he's you know it doesn't get much worse than the than, than where he's at now does it uh, it can yes it can get <laughs> a lot worse to be honest um and we deal with those situations where uh people um Unfortunately, you know, it, it, I, I should say, yes, it can. It can be the extreme cases. Mm. Um, but in that case, again, like it's the media that's, you know, we're, we're hearing and we don't know it all. We're just hearing mm. what the media is telling us. And bring it back into a workplace. Of course, this sort of stuff happens as well, because whilst it mightn't appear on the front page of the Herald Sun or the Age or the Australian, it is all around the office or it is all around the water cooler in the tea room or people talking about it on Smoko, right? So managing those conversations is a really big challenge. Like managing the um, overflow of an investigation and what people are talking about mm -hmm. is actually a fundamental responsibility when one's going, when that's happening in a circumstance like this. Now, I would actually argue in this case, our media have gone overboard and they've run with a sensational story because it's really exciting um, and it's actually put all the parties both Robert Doyle and the complainants in a really difficult situation and it has whilst the media will say well it's a public right to know and it's a public interest case I would say is the public interest knowing about it or is the public interest in seeing that a fair and appropriate process is run to get a good outcome? Mm. I just, I think, yeah, um, only thing I'd add in respect to the cases you've raised is the one with the AFL, and without, again, going into the specifics, I think or, um, societal expectations and therefore what's what's accepted and unaccepted in the workplace has changed so in the past if you were having a relationship with someone in the workplace it was you know considered completely your private business mm. whether that was because you were married or you're having an affair or a fling or whatever um, these days that's no longer how it's considered there is considered per um, perceptions of power imbalance and favoritism same mm. with Barnaby's situation and when as a society that's an area that we are have changed our views on and so a lot of companies have introduced policies where you often, you've always had to declare a conflict of interest, mm. you know, if you've got a, something with a competitor, but that has been expanded, the definition of that's been expanded to cover if you're in romantic wow. relationships with people. So the question uh, that I have for you is, if you're in a high-profile position, a politician, or you work for the AFL, are you held to a higher standard than the Joe Blow employee? They would actually argue that they, they are. The AFL, um, the CEO of the AFL actually came out and said, if you were an executive of mine, you're held to a higher standard. Mm. I would actually argue that's not necessarily the case. It's just that you have a higher public interest value, hence there's a broader um, dissemination of your case, mm. right? 
would like to think so, but it's not always the case. Mm, <laughs> but mm. yeah, you'd like to think our leaders are held to a higher regard, but I think we could all think of examples where that hasn't been the case. Mm. Um, and what about the, as I said, the emotional impact that it takes on the person who's being accused? I mean, is there just, is there literally nothing you can do about it? Uh, I think it's. I was going to say, I think it's about at every stage treating someone with respect. Mm. So even if you've been, like, and that's one of the one of the messages we would say is how you handle the conversation where you have to raise an awkward thing with somebody can have such an impact. It can have a negative impact. It can also be so important to um, put that in a particular way. And there have been studies that show in the way a manager deals with that first triage conversation, mm. if you like, has any, a flow-on impact, impact into both the, the welfare of the people involved but also the, the resolving of the dispute. So if they can present it in a neutral, non-judgmental, supportive way, um, regardless of what it is, it will resolve. Um, but yeah. it's also important to mention, Ruben, that it's not just about supporting the people who are responding to the allegations. Mm. It's about supporting those people to make the complaints in the first place mm. because that traditionally has actually been where people have been right. exposed and have had grave difficulties right. and come unstuck. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Well, we're sort of coming towards the end, but one of the questions that I always ask for our people that come in as guests is for three messages. And given that the... Uh, discussion is about conflict today conflict in the workplace i'd like from each of you to hear your to hear your top three tips uh for managing conflict in the workplace tony you go first uh be ready to be in an uncomfortable situation and acknowledge it that's the first one. Second, listen you've got to really really listen and the third you need to be flexible in your approach your approach is not the only way to do things excellent over to you, Zandy. I guess my top three would be that conflict is more positive than people think. We always think that conflict's negative, but there's lots of examples where difference of opinion actually gets you a better outcome. Mm. So sometimes sit in that space and encourage people. You want people to have a certain level of conflict is healthy and good. So conflict is more positive than people think. Um, take responsibility to have difficult conversations. More often than not, a difficult conversation is not a surprise. Mm. You can plan for it. You can initiate it. You can set the tone for it. So take responsibility to do that. Um, and my third one is that there's always a plan. I've yet to have a situation, I think we could both say, that we've had yet to have a situation where there isn't another idea or a way of looking at what feels like an overwhelming situation. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show, guys. It's been a... Uh it's been enlightening. I think there's something in there for everyone, both people who are, you know, working in small businesses as owners or employees and people who are navigating uh, their careers in bigger businesses as well. So that's all for that segment of the show. It's now time for my Propeller Head of the Week. And the Propeller Head of the Week is about interest-only loans. Interest-only loans have been the most popular type of loans for people buying investment properties uh, because you get a tax deduction for the interest uh, and you maintain your negative gearing. But in the last year or so, the banks have increased the uh, rates on interest-only loans as compared to principal and interest. So that there can be between half a percent and one percent higher than the loans which are paid on principal and interest. So I really think it's a time for people who've got in investment loans on an interest-only basis to look at changing them to principal and interest. It might mean that your repayments go up somewhat, but the component that you'll be paying of interest will be significantly lower and you'll be paying off the debt quicker. 
And at the end of the day, the objective of any borrowing to invest is to build wealth. So building wealth by both paying off the debt and buying a good investment that goes up in value is a good idea. Okay, well, that's all that we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you do are able to, I'd love for you to go on to the iTunes uh, part of uh, the for the Finance Hour and leave me a review. That'll just mean that we go further up the, uh, the rankings and can reach more people. Uh, also welcome you to check out all the old episodes on my website on uh, at adaptwealth.com.au. Uh, I will be away for the next two weeks. I'm on a trip to Israel, but we will certainly be back here in three weeks' time. Thanks very much.